You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, my name is Stephen Ward, one of the pastors in the Spokane uh, Church Plant, and I'm so glad to be with you here today looking at the book of Acts. Um, we kind of looked at this wide view of what are things that maybe we as a church or church members need to look at to say, all right, there's issues. It's been a tough two years. Maybe we've even lost some of the habits we used to have or priorities we used to have. And so Keith and then Matt have kind of led us into this wide view of what are the principles or characteristics that maybe we could learn from looking back at the early church to say, what are just those basics? What do I need to know? What do I need to be committed to? Or maybe even in what Matthew shared with us last week, what do we need to be devoted to for us to actually embrace the practices or the focuses that we should have in order to be the church that God desires for us to be, to be a church member that God desires for me to be. And so one of the, we're going to look today, kind of narrow in. We've, we've looked at some of the general, and uh, Matt looked at basically kind of four main devotions. Um, part of those were kind of a devotion towards God by being devoted to the apostles' teaching and practices that God gave us and prayer, like devoted to time with God, devoted to this relationship with God. And then there was the time of fellowship where they were to be devoted to each other. And so I'm going to zero in and look at kind of this specific story in Acts chapter 16, really starting with verse 16, but it's really this story about Paul and Silas and, and heading into some incredible hardships. And what were some of these principles? What were some of these characteristics that they lived out that helped them have impact in their life and in the lives of others around them? One, one of the things that as I look back at my life and, and maybe a season of, of trouble or trials or hardships or whatever, one of those was when we were in Africa. And we moved there and to, uh, to be a part of church planning. I wasn't going there to plant a church, but we were there to encourage, teach, and train, and just help equip African uh, missionaries to basically take the gospel and plant churches in Malawi and in Mozambique in the southern region of Africa. But I, I mean, it was, it was difficult for us. One, it was learning a new language. It was living in a place that was very difficult. Uh, Karis got sick almost from the very beginning. We found out she had a blood uh, disorder where uh, in extreme heat, she really was sick almost the entire time. And then it was just tough, like driving on the roads. You're driving on the, sorry if you're British, but we're driving on the wrong side of the road and that's just difficult. It's dirt roads and it's just slamming you everywhere you go. You're camping when you're out doing ministry. It's so hot all the time. And then there's just the issues like safety issues. We, we were in riots where they're throwing rocks at our car. And then there's just like Brennan got malaria as a uh, new, newborn and almost dies. And just those things begin to compound. And after a while, there, there were seasons where you'd go, man, is this worth it? Or maybe even the big questions when you're in some of those trials of God, where are you? 
And why are you allowing these things to happen? Sometimes we can get so in our narrow focus, we could say, God, look what I've done. Look what I've given up. Look what I'm doing for you. Why don't you show up and do something? And, and like, sometimes we just get in this mindset where we have a human perspective that it is hard to remember some of those principles and characteristics that we see in these early church members that could cause us to maybe even have a different perspective during our trials, during our hard times. And so I want to jump into this story and we're going to kind of actually kind of story it just for a little bit in Acts 16, 16. Um, Paul and Silas find themselves on this journey to a, a house of prayer. And while they're on this journey, um, man, there, there's this young slave woman who is demon-possessed that begins to follow them around and begins to really hassle them, but it hassle them in a very unique way. She keeps crying out, these are servants of the Most High God, and they are telling you to be saved. Now, you might say, well, that sounds like a phenomenal thing. Why, why, are, why do you see that as being hassled? Well, this went on for days and days and days, and it was a huge distraction. And finally, Paul turns around. It says he was annoyed. He was aggravated and turns around and then casts this demon out in the name of Jesus. And you're like, why didn't that happen before he was annoyed? I don't know the answers to it all, but he's annoyed. And so he turns around and says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the demon does. And the demon leaves her. And you, you might look at that and go, man, that's phenomenal. And it was for her, but she was a fortune teller. And so this demon gave her an ability to know the future, and that's how her owners made their living. And so now they are ticked off. They've lost their business plan with their slave girl, and now they're dragging Paul and Silas and their followers to these authorities there in the marketplace. And, and it was curious to me, as, as I con continue to engage this text, they they take them to the authorities, but they, they really, the main thing that they bring against them isn't, hey, they ruined our business. It's they're preaching and they're causing chaos. And what they're preaching is against our Roman customs and it's against our laws. And so what about what Paul is preaching was against the Roman customs and laws? Well, the Romans said, you need to worship the emperor and you need to worship our gods, and that's it. And the only exception they gave was to the Jews, and that was to worship God, their one God only. So what's different about what Paul's sharing? Well, he's saying you need to believe in Jesus, that he's your Lord, that he's your Savior, and you need to worship him. Well, they viewed Jesus as a person. And so this began to be viewed as a cult and viewed as something that was against the Roman and even Jewish law. And so that's the accusation they bring against Paul. And they, they uh, take Paul and Silas and uh, actually begin to whip them. And we're going to pick up kind of there. But I, I want you to understand that this characteristic, what drove Paul and Silas to this point, to this point where they're dragged in front of the magistrates, they're dragged in front of these authorities, one of the key characteristics or these key principles they lived out was that they were called to mission. There was a purpose in their life and that it was the mission of spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere they could so that it would change as many lives as possible and the kingdom of Jesus would grow rapidly. 
and they understood this is why I exist. This is why I breathe today. This is why I wake up today. It is to be about mission. And, and it drove them even to be willing to face persecution, be beaten. Paul at other times was literally stoned and left for dead in a city. And so they understood sacrifice became a part of it, but it was driven from this daily mission, this daily purpose that I'm created. God has given me purpose and it is to be about his mission. Look, we're going to pick up in verse 22. Now the crowd joins in. The, the magistrates are saying, yep, it's against the Roman law. We're, we're going to punish you. And the crowd's joining in this attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been beaten severe and severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer commanded the guard to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So we see this, man, this incredible, painful persecution for simply sharing the message of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and you put your faith in his death and resurrection, you will be saved. It is what you need to do to have a relationship with God. This is viewed as, as, as was already said, causing chaos and against Roman customs and laws. And so the question is, is it worth it? And what drove them to this mission? What drove them knowing they're going to be jailed, probably knowing they're going to be beaten and whipped and flogged and all the other things that happened and Paul was stoned at other times. What, what would cause you to say, this is worth it or this is what I should do? Well, there's another characteristic or, or principle that drove the early church. It drove Paul. It drove Silas. It's taught in God's word as as again, uh, Matt said last week, to, they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. And so God's word, didn't, it wasn't just something that resided here, but it was something that began to live and burn in their hearts. Well, part of that, part of that characteristic was a lens. And it was a commitment or a devotion that Jesus is their Lord. And that commitment, that devotion, literally became a lens for their entire life. Jesus as Lord wasn't just a mantra. Or it wasn't just a statement of, yes, I'm making Jesus my Lord. It literally was something that they said, this permeates, this impacts, this affects every piece of my life. It, it is something that, that I cannot have any facet, any, I can't wall off any part of my life where Jesus is not, I don't surrender to Jesus as my Lord. And so we see in uh, Romans 10.9 that this is one of the places where this could be derived from. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this is something they shared. This isn't, hey, just, you know, keep your own gods, keep your own religion and add Jesus to it. Mm -mm. This isn't, hey, if you just pray a prayer and become a good person. No, this is like radical change where if you were your own God, that's done. If there was another God you were worshiping, that's done. Jesus is now sitting on the throne of your life, of your heart, of your life, of your decision-making. He is your everything. We see another place in Colossians, Colossians 3.17 that says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, 
I don't care if you're washing dishes, if you're the president of the United States, if you're a lawyer, if, if you're interacting with your spouse, if you're looking at your budget, if you're raising your children, every single facet of what you're doing is to be offered to Jesus Christ, to say, God, this is yours. Jesus, you're my Lord. I surrender every facet of my life to you, how I interact with my spouse, how I raise my children, my budget, everything already belongs to you, God. And everything I do is to be done in, in an act of worship to you because you are my king. This mindset, this devotion, this surrender is what allowed Paul and Silas to say, I'm going to continue to be about the purpose of mission, knowing that it is going to cost me greatly. Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. So today, I'm going to be about your purpose, knowing that it could cause me to go to jail, cause me to be beaten, cause me to be persecuted for you. Why do I do it? Because you are my Lord. Massive principle, massive characteristic of the early church that led hundreds of thousands, I, I, I don't know how many, thousands, thousands of people to their death. They were burned at the stake. They were hung on crosses. They were fed to lions and coliseums. And they persecuted and tried to stamp out the early church. And what drove them was this idea of Jesus as Lord. Is that a perspective that you would say daily, I, I live with understanding that Jesus is my Lord, that everything I do is surrendered to him. Everything I have is surrendered to him. All my interactions are surrendered to him. It isn't about me. It isn't ultimately about them. It's about Jesus as my Lord. And it will enable us to go into circumstances that we wouldn't normally be willing to enter. Look at verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Let's just stop there for a second. <laughs> You've just been beaten. You're bloody. You're bruised. You're chained up. And you're singing praises to God. I I'm just going to be vulnerable and honest. There were days in Africa where my wife is sick. My son was potentially dying of malaria, leading killer of babies in Africa. Or we're in riots where there's thousands of people around us and people are throwing stones at us or we're at a border crossing and there's a dude with a machine gun and, and there's moments where you say why am I doing this is this worth it and and when I look at this it leads to those other questions of God where are you and why are you letting this happen to me and what is Paul and Silas's response to I just got done sharing the gospel we just got done spreading the message and we even cast out a demon and now we've had the crap beat out of us and we're chained here in jail and they're singing to God. I, I've heard some people say, you know what, when, when I, they, they feel distant from God and so then they say this, I, I'm, I will wait, I'm not gonna serve, I'm not gonna commit to be a part of doing things in the church until I feel close to God and so I'm just gonna focus on that. You know what, they go hand in hand Paul understood there is a lordship peace. There is a person, there's a purpose peace. And, and there is a closeness as I pray and as I am devoted to God's word that all of those wrapped up cause me to 
sense God's presence and be used by him. But it, it isn't all, you know, wildflowers and roses. And I mean, it's just tough at times. But Paul understood there were characteristics of endurance that enabled him, that closeness of God, that devoted to God's word and prayer, that ability to see Jesus as Lord, being about his purpose, allowed him in the moments when it's tough to say, God, you're still my God. And you're still worthy of my devotion and my prayer and my singing, my praise and my worship. And, and we have to ask ourselves in those moments. Maybe you could reflect over the past two years and say, there were times I lost that ability to sing and praise God. And I wasn't even rotting, sitting rotting in jail after being beaten. Maybe I was just isolated. Maybe I was struggling with depression. Maybe I just felt like this isn't what I thought my life was going to be over the past two years. Maybe there's other circumstances where it's been even harder and you've struggled to worship God. I, I just want you to see when, when we actually put in practice what the early church did, we are able, like Paul and Silas were, to actually during our struggles turn our eyes and sing praises to God and worship Him as God. It caused them to stand out. This isn't normal. And I, I, I understand it's not normal. What's normal is to turn inward, isolate. This isn't fair. This is, this is crazy. Why is this happening to me? But there was something abnormal. We know it was abnormal because look at the next part of that sentence, verse 25, and it says this, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Like, man, there's, there's got to be something wrong with them. They've just been beaten, they're bloody, they're chained up, and they're singing. They're, they're worshiping their God, and he let them down. I mean, that, that's the automatic view of people. We'd say, where, where is your God? He's let you be captured and had the crap beat out of you. And yet, they're watching them. Like, they, they, they know this message they've been preaching, and now they're seeing their life match it up when things aren't good. You see, sometimes we think, oh man, when things are great is the best time we have the ability to be God's witness, but it's actually the opposite. We have the best opportunity to prove that we really are followers of Christ when they see us as consistent during our hard, horrible, painful experiences as we are on the mountaintop experiences. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas were doing. They were just simply living out what they do daily. They're worshiping God, even when everyone around would say, why would you worship this God who just let you down? And it's causing people to look and take notice of their life. And then it goes on and says, suddenly there's a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And, and then you would think, the story goes, Paul and Silas run out because they've just been worshiping God and praying and they realize God has answered their prayers and probably answered the prayers of everyone at, at the uh, house church there in Philippi where all this is taking place at Lydia's house. And now they're going to run out and, and see God has answered. This is a celebration of an answered prayer and they're free and they can run to Lydia's house and everyone can praise that God answered in a miraculous way. Wouldn't that be an incredible piece of that story? I mean, that's what, that's what I would have thought. God, you've set me free. Let's go, Silas. 
We're out of here. God has, he set us free to go back to our mission and go out and preach again. I think it's so odd that that's not their first response. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The dude that's in charge of their captivity, they're like not running away, but they're running towards him saying, stop, don't hurt yourself. Inwardly, probably going, this means we're still going to be in chains and still in captivity and could even face further beatings, could even cost us our life for breaking the Roman law. But I'm going to stop and not see what just happened as God's preserve, you know, miraculous freeing us. Instead, I'm so in tune with God's spirit that I actually see the one who would keep me from being free about to kill himself and I'm that concerned about his eternal life. That is not normal. And there's something about these early believers that we need to really look at and say, is that how I would have acted? Is that, was that, would that have been my reaction? Stop, don't harm yourself. I'm willing to give up my freedom for you. I'm just gonna be honest. I think a lot of the times I would have said, see you, hope you somehow heard something and choose Jesus, but I'm out the door. Because it's easier, it's safe, it's secure, and, and I can be about God's purpose in an easier way. I, I think there's something here where we would say, could God have been there with this whole entire process to allow Paul to see another person of peace? You see, Paul's looking for a city to be changed. He's not just sharing a message. He understands there is a movement that we could be about. And, and I need to be willing to sacrifice my life in order to see people come to know, God, it is worth that. Jesus is Lord. Mission is my purpose. I'm worshiping God even in the difficult circumstances. And I see people the way Jesus sees people. You're a soul worth saving, even though you could have been a part of my beating and you're overseeing my captivity. Do we see people the way God sees people? Am I willing to sacrifice myself for others in that type of way? I don't think many of us are. Paul was so in tune with God and so about seeing people the way God saw people that he saw this this captain of the guard and said, you're worth saving even above and beyond my freedom. He goes on to verse 29. The jailer calls for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's heard their singing and worshiping God. He knows the message they've been sharing, the reputation of these men. And he's seen it lived out, not just enduring the pain and the persecution and their singing and praising God, but he just witnessed their ability to leave and choosing his life over their own. And there's something about that, the message, their, the way they live that out and the power of the Holy Spirit 
that in that moment caused him to ask the most important question, what must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to have what you have? Because obviously you've got something in your life that is missing in mine. Do people see that in us? Is there, if they watch your life, would they say the way you live, not just what you say, but the way you live your life, the way you worship God, even in good and in bad, the way you sacrifice for others over yourself, there's something so different in you that it both caused me to think you're a little weird, but I want a little bit of it. I, I want to know what it is that drives you. And I see there's something missing in my life because there's nothing driving me like that in my life at all. I'm just going through the motions, trying to make it through this world. I don't know what purpose is. And I don't have the drive that obviously you have that would cause you to sacrifice like you have for me. It caused him to be willing to ask the big questions. It wasn't just the message. It was the message. It was the way they lived out their faith. And it was a self-sacrificing for the people around them. All of those characteristics caused this crazy, burly, brutal man who saw, oversaw killings, beatings, whippings, and imprisonment every day to drop to his knees and say, there's something missing in my life and you know what it is. How do I get it? They replied in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. So this jailer knows that they have been put in jail, beaten and put in jail because of their message of worshiping Jesus Christ. And what is his response? I'm not only going to do it, but I'm going to bring my family and all of my servants into this process to listen to you as well and to follow this Jesus, even though it's against Roman law and could cause all of us to face the exact same thing you faced. So there was a, there was a radical change there. And that's what they were looking for. I think some of us just assume there's going to be a head change and maybe a little bit of a heart change, but not a life change. And Paul and Silas saw this dude was willing to risk it all. There was a firm understanding of what he was putting his faith in and that there was now a purpose in his life. And it was to be a part of that message, getting to his family and to others as well. And so they see this radical transformation in this jailer and his family are all brought into this understanding of who Jesus is. They place their faith in him. They pray, uh, repenting of their sins and put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. And, and then it leads to this real step of commitment. At that hour before night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all this household were baptized. Like ultimate stepping out. Like not only am I saying I'm believing, but I'm actually willing to be bold enough to get baptized, even though it's against the law, even though we could be brutally beaten and ourselves put in jail, we're following immediately in these steps of obedience. Maybe if you're watching this and you'd say, you know what, I believe and I'm willing to surrender as long as there's no cost. As long as I don't have to put myself out there, as long as I don't have to have waves and potentially get canceled, so don't ask me to get baptized or make a public stand or actually impact other people. 
And yet we see that's exactly what Paul and Silas did. And that's exactly what they led this Philippian jailer to do with his whole family. And, and I would encourage you, what might be things that you're holding back? In other words, where haven't you allowed Jesus to be Lord of your life? What are you keeping him? What are you not surrendering to him and allowing him to control? I love this next part. The jailer brought them in his house. They had a meal before them. He was filled, all right? He's believed in God. He's now filled with the Holy Spirit. And what are some of the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. So what does he says? He's filled with joy because he's come to believe in God, he and this whole household. We're beginning to see immediate fruit of this Holy Spirit in his life. And he's overwhelmed with joy because God has changed him from the inside out. 35, when it was daylight, the magistrate sent the officers to the jailer and ordered the release of those men. The jailer told Paul and the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go leave, go in peace. I'm going to skip down to verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, can you imagine? I'm, I mean, Lydia's house, the house church there, they knew what had happened to Paul and Silas. They've been beaten and jailed and all of that. So they show up this house. <laughs> They're bruised all up, maybe hunched over, limping, I mean, they're, they're in pain. They've gone through a massive flogging that could have broken many people. And, and they're going there not to get something. I, I just want to let that sit in. They went to encourage them. Why, why do you go to church? Why do you, why do you attend church? Why do you go to a Bible study? Why do you go to be with others? I go to hear preaching. I go to get something out of it. I go to worship God. I want to just challenge you. There was also a characteristic we see here that was lived out in the early church. It was touched on uh, earlier, even in the past couple messages where, man, part of the characteristic of these people was that they were sacrificing for each other. They didn't go to get something. They understood, I'm a part of this process. I'm a part of this church. It, the church isn't the building, the church isn't the pastor, and it is all of us coming together, bringing what we collectively have to encourage each other. And after, you know, one of the worst experiences of their life, maybe, Paul went through a lot of bad experiences, but a tough, hard, horrible experience. What's his first impulse? Silas, let's go and let's encourage these guys. Like, man, what? Some of my impulses, I'm just being brutally honest again, is to complain. Can you believe those guys? Can you believe what just happened? And I want someone to empathize with me. And, I'm, I'm not. And, and their impulse after all of that is to go and say, let's go encourage these guys. Is that your motivation? And so I, as, as we kind of look through this passage, there's some, some main principles I, I want you to look at today. And, and you could go today and go, man, I want to be more like Paul and Silas. And fine. But even more, I, I would love for you to just answer this question. What's God telling you in, in what we've just heard and how we've seen these characteristics, principles lived out in the early church, specifically in Paul and Silas and what they endured and why they did it? What's God telling you? What's God saying to your heart? And what steps are you willing to take? 
What are you willing to do about it? And in these key areas, where is Jesus my Lord? And maybe the alternative, where isn't Jesus the Lord of my life? Where is Jesus my Lord? Analyze your life. Look at the different categories of your life, your job, your future, your money, your, your marriage, your spouse, your children, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, what you're going to study in school. I'll wrap all those up and say, Jesus, are you my Lord of everything in my life? Or do I have some categories over here that I've said, these are off limits. You're my God in all of this. And then these are mine. I'm the God of these in my life. What are you willing to do about it? The next one, is mission a part of my daily life? You ask yourself that. Um, you know what? I give so that others can do mission. You know what? I, I, I encourage people to go to mission trips and I'll, I'll help support them. I even support staff for Resonate and I'm supporting mission by doing that. You see, what drove this early church was that they understood a part of the purpose of why they exist, the why God created them was to be a part of mission, not support mission, but be a part of actually being in God's mission. You see, God's put you in a mission field, whether it's your job, your school, your neighborhood, uh, 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 maybe a group of a hobby or some interest where God has allowed you to be, where there's influence in your life. Do you view yourself that way on a daily basis, that there is mission that is part of God, why you created me? It's part of my purpose. And for me to feel fulfilled, I actually need to embrace that part of my life. What's God saying to you in that? And what step might you be willing to do about it? Is my ability to feel close to God and freely worship Him dependent on my circumstances? I've already admitted there's been times in my life that have been difficult where my first response was self-pity. My first response was, God, where are you? Why have you allowed this to happen? But those times where I had the proper devotions going on in my life, both in my relationship with God and my relationship with others, there was an ability to endure. There was an ability to continue to walk down those difficult paths. And, and as a matter of fact, there were many people in Africa and in other places who said, man, watching you go through those things and still staying here, still being willing to invest in us is what gave us the faith to continue to take steps in our own life. And I'm sure there's those types of stories in your life as well. Our faith is proven when we're able to worship God and view Him as good and, and worship Him as our King, even when things are horrible in our life. Is your worship of God a roller coaster dependent on your circumstances? Or can you consistently worship him like we saw with Paul and Silas? What's God saying to you in that? And maybe what do you need to do about it? How willing am I to lean into self-sacrifice for the sake of someone else? How willing am I to look at an exit door from my prison and my beatings and my being in chains and say, God, you opened the door but here's a soul who God views as valuable. Am I willing to give up my freedom? Am I willing to give up and self-sacrifice for the sake of a person's salvation, a person's soul? Can I see people truly the way God sees people? Or do I view things through the lens of my comfort, my security, my freedoms, my pleasure? This is my and if it's not inconvenient, I'd be happy to talk to you. 
What's God saying to you in that, in your self-sacrifice? And what step might you be willing to do about it? I'd encourage you, if you have opportunities, to discuss with maybe a group you're already in or a group that you trust to kind of go through those questions and allow even other people maybe to speak into your life and ask the hard questions. Do I resemble the early church in the foundations of what they were devoted to, what allowed them to endure? Or maybe has the past two years taught me that I might need to get back to some of these basics a little more in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for these examples that cause us to look inward and say, would I live out this process the way Paul and Silas did? What would have been different? What practices do they have? Did they live out? What principles did they display? What characteristics were there that God might be absent or might have been become distant over the past couple years because of COVID, because of isolation, because of laziness, whatever the reasons may be. God, I pray that you awaken us back to who you desire for us to be. Give us the boldness to take the steps we need to take to become more of the people you desire for us to be so that you can create in us a vehicle by which you could cause incredible movements to still take place today where people are radically giving their lives to you like we saw in this passage today, impacting entire families, impacting cities. God, allow us to see those things again in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.